Welcome back to the Speaking of Texas podcast. I'm your Texas whisperer, Tweed Scott. I've been blessed to have met and made many, many friends in Texas over the years. Texas is a fabulous place. One of her many treasures are her people. They are a fountain of knowledge. If you'll indulge me for a few minutes, I would like to share one of them with you. His name is Charlie Yates. The following is an excerpt from my book, Texas in Her Own Words. I conducted this interview with him on one of his trips to Houston. I was living there at the time. First, let me give you a little bit of background. I've known Charlie for almost 20 years now, I guess. I met him when I was doing a magazine story for the Austin Magazine Country Line. I was at the Texas State Cemetery for the annual Texas Independence Day Ceremony. The Texian Legacy Association was there with several of the Texas Revolutionary Era reenactors in full regalia in their period costumes. They were quite impressive. Charlie was the president of that organization at the time. Charlie and I hit it off right away. He became my go-to guy any time I had any question about Texas. I was astounded by his knowledge of the Republic of Texas, the Texas Revolution Era, and just Texas in general. I don't think I ever stumped him, not that I ever tried to, but I knew that he would always steer me right. I knew if I asked him a question, I would get the right answer. Charlie Yates. This is from the book, Texas in Her Own Words. Charlie Yates, birthplace, Laredo, Texas. Occupation, retired IT worker for the state of Texas. Here are my thoughts. Charlie Yates is deeply rooted in Texas. I think I've learned something new about Texas every time I talk with him. His Texas roots go back all the way to the Republic of Texas. He is very knowledgeable, not only about the state's history, but the things that make Texas and Texans tick. He has been a longtime member of the Texian Legacy Association. They're a group of Texan Revolution-era reenactors who recreate how life was lived back in the day of the Texas Revolution. They quickly impress you with their authentic costumes, their firearms, the cannon, and their wealth of knowledge. These people are very passionate about what they do. They become a living history of the era. Charlie always seems to have a smile in his face, as he did when I sat down with him for this interview. So, Charlie, tell me, where were you born? Says Charlie, I was born in Laredo, Texas, many, many years ago. My dad was a federal law enforcement officer, and we lived all over South Texas with his job. I grew up and graduated high school in Rungi, Texas. So I asked him, I guess I've known you for at least eight or nine years at this point. My first encounter with you was at the Texas Cemetery. I had never been there before. The Texas reenactors provided some of the ceremony elements out there that day. That, uh, that was the first time I think I ever saw you, and I was greatly impressed. And as it turned out, we became friends over all those years, and I admire greatly what you do. Charlie responded, well, thank you, Tweed. I appreciate that. The Texas State Cemetery is the hidden secret jewel in Austin. It is a beautiful place with an awful lot of history buried out there. There are 60-odd veterans of the Texas Revolution buried out there. A lot of Civil War Confederate dead are buried there. It's a history of Texas. 
Just recently, we had a celebration there for Stephen F. Austin's birthday. He's buried there, too. Several years ago, we decided, since we had that so close at hand in Austin, that we just needed to remember those people. So we use it quite frequently. The cemetery people are very happy to have us come out there and bring attention to the area. When Bob Bullock was still lieutenant governor, he invested about $5 million in that place to renovate. They did a beautiful job on it. It's just gorgeous. You can walk through there and see the whole history of the state. Jay Johnson started Celebrate Texas in 1999. Jay passed away a few years later, and I eventually became the president of that organization. We put on the Texas Independence Day Parade and a 5K run. We had the ceremony out on the state uh, cemetery, and we have an Alamo ceremony on the south steps of the Capitol, and there's even a rotunda ceremony that we take part in. So we have an awful lot of things going on around March 2nd for the birth of Texas. So I asked him, how did you get involved with the reenactors anyway? And he kind of chuckled and said, well, a friend of mine and I uh, heard that they were having a ceremony at Washington on the Brazos Park on March the 2nd. So we wanted to go, and we figured if we dressed up in period costume that they would let us in for free. So we got there. The guy in the parking lot area told us, well, because you are all dressed up, you just park right up front. We thought, well, that's pretty good. Then uh, when we found out that they didn't charge anybody anything to get in anyway, well, so we wound up there dressed like a couple of people from 1836 in Carol Lewis who was a general of the Texas Army, invited us to join in, and we just went out from there. In 1996, I became a colonel in the Texas Army and have been involved with Texas history up to my armpits ever since. One of the things I tried to bring home to people is that all these historical people, and not just the Texas history, but George Washington even, Winston Churchill, and the rest, they were people just like you and I, and they had the same hopes and dreams for their children. They had a goal in life, make it better for their children than they had. And studying how they did that, it gives us a kind of roadmap to help us deal with things that we have to deal with. The problems, what few there are in in my life, I'm not the first one to have those. There are other people who had those problems too. It's a major reason for me to study history and try to pass that on. So I asked him, I've always... Consider the Texas Revolution a microcosm of the American Revolution, except that maybe our people were just a little bit more colorful, says Charlie. Well, it was. These are an awful lot of similarities in those two. If the early United States didn't have help from France, we would not have won the revolution. If Texas had not had help from the United States, we would not have won the revolution. Up until the opening a few months before the first shots of Lexington and Concord, the vast majority of the people of the United States were loyal British subjects. That turned relatively overnight into a rebellion. The same thing happened in Texas. The Texas Revolution lasted nine months, which is a very short period of time. Stephen F. Austin went from a loyal Mexican subject in 1835 to being the commander-in-chief of the Texas Army in latter 1835. There was a lot of change in a very short period of time. So, Charlie, I know you're a great student of history, and you have lived your whole life here. What, in your estimation, makes Texas special? Well, Charlie says, you know, 
That question has been argued for 200 years. To me, what makes Texas special is the land of the great second chance. If you look at Houston, Travis, David Crockett, they all came here after failing someplace else. In Texas, I believe it has a genetic memory for folks like that. Even if you get as recently as the refugees from Vietnam who came here and started with nothing, many of them have become very, very successful. And what it boils down to is if you have not been a success someplace else, and you come to Texas and you're willing to work hard, assume personal responsibility for what you do, that you do exercise some personal initiative individually, have the courage, be able to sacrifice for the long-term goals, and in essence, throw in with this, you'll find you'll be very happy and very successful. Because there's a lot of us who've experienced that or whose family has experienced that. My people came here in 1832. In fact, we had one group that came here when it was still Spanish territory prior to 1821. So they were starting over. They had nothing. Some had failed businesses or relationships, things like that back in the States. And then they needed a clean slate to start over with, and Texas gave them that. It's not easy, of course, but I just don't see that that type of opportunity elsewhere. Good night in Loving, out in West Texas. When they started the cattle drives, there was a lot of risk involved, not only monetarily, but physically. I don't see where you can do that in many other places, particularly today. So without using the phrase, the land of opportunity, it is a land of opportunity. So I asked Charlie, you know, I've often joked that Texas was settled by golfers. I mean, think about it. All these people were looking for mulligans. They wanted do-overs. Moses Austin, Crockett, Bowie, Travis, they were all looking to start over. And I'd submit that was the rule rather than the exception. Charlie responded, you know, that's absolutely true. And it carries forth with a lot of other people who came to Texas after the Battle of San Jacinto. The Texians captured about 600 Mexican soldados. A great number of those old soldados went back home with the Texans and worked on their plantations, and their descendants still live in the Houston area today. There was nothing for them in Mexico. They needed a place to start over, and Texas was the place. So tell me, Charlie, does it mean, what does it mean to you personally to be a native Texan? Well, it's a double-edged sword. There's a pride involved, of course. But if you look at the people who came here, that gave me my foundation early on. Some of them weren't pillars of the community, you know? And so you have to balance this. I'm a sixth-generation Texan, near as I can figure. It's a source of a great amount of pride, for sure. It gives me an anchor. I've known people from other places that don't have that benchmark to go back to, and they wonder at it. You know, I, they don't really understand, and I'm not sure I understand it. It's kind of a hard thing to describe. So then I asked Charlie in my conversation with Liz Carpenter, we talked about the Texas State Cemetery. She pointed out that there were a lot of heroes buried out there, and there was a lot of scoundrels, too, buried out there and a bunch of them are in the same hole. Charlie laughed. You know, that's very true. That goes back to what I said a while ago. These were humans, just like you and I, and they had their families, their oddities, their issues, their demons, just like we do. 
And that, to me, is why it's very unfair to judge someone solely on one part of their heritage. You have to take the totality in by by even someone as great as Abraham Lincoln or Winston Churchill or George Washington, who may be the marble man on the pedestal, but they had their issues. And it doesn't mean that they're less of a great person. It just means that the bar is set very high for the rest of us. So I guess what it is, is that they're playing the cards that they were they were dealt the absolutely best way that they knew how. You can't fault anybody for that. You can fault somebody for not getting in the game, or you can fault somebody for just not throwing in or for just throwing in the cards. But if they gave it an honest effort and play the cards the best they're dealt, it's just very hard to fault somebody for that. So I said to uh, to Charlie, I've often said. One of the beauties of Texas is that if you fall down and fail, no one will hold it against you. All you have to do is get up, dust yourself off, and say, well, hell, that didn't work. Now, how do we make it happen? Charlie responded, that is, in my mind, the key. If you fail and you don't get out and dust yourself off, then you got a problem with folks. But if you get yourself up, climb back up on that saddle, and give it a good shot again, no one's going to fault you for that. So I also said, one thing that I have learned is that Texans are truly how thinkers. If just never enters into the the conversation, said Charlie, Leroy Cullen, who was a pillar of Houston, economics and business, made it and lost I don't know how many fortunes in the course of a lifetime. He would go down to dead broke and then make it all the way back and somehow lose it all again and make it all back again. He was the king of getting back up on that horse. People in Texas respect that. They may not think that they're people that they absolutely want to imitate, but they will respect it. That is a huge part of the Texas persona, respecting other people, others people's, uh, other people's property, ideas, and things like that. The Alamo is such a place. I had the privilege of reading Travis's letter in the shrine about midnight one Sunday night. It took me a couple of times to get through it. I know how this sounds, but there are still many of those people that are still there. I could feel them standing beside me. It was a very unique and eerie feeling, but it's a very special place. I just wish they had not put it downtown because the parking lot's a bear. Even Santa Ana had trouble with parking, says Charlie. It's not an odd situation. But he goes on to say, about preserving the Texas values, I think that's something that's important. I think it will continue as I see young people coming up all the time who epitomize that. I don't think that there's any danger of the Texas character going away. It might manifest itself in a different way or ways from what we're used to. We have different challenges than we had in 1950 or 1850, for that matter. Really, to tell you the truth, once you get out of the cities, that's when you start seeing the people who really manifest those characteristics like personal responsibility. If you do something wrong, you stand up and say it. I did something wrong. I used to worry about the Texas heritage going away. It's going more and more and into other things. It can't help but do that because technology, increasing population, and people coming in from different areas, from different parts of the world. But I believe if those people give a little thought to the Texas character and what's made up and what it's made up of, well, they're going to find it. They're going to find out that they share 
a lot of those same characteristics. My favorite story along that line was Mirabu B. Lamar. He got here two weeks before the Battle of San Jacinto. He joined the Texas Army as a private. And the day before the Battle of San Jacinto, he was involved in a cavalry skirmish with the Mexican Army. He saved a man's life who had been surrounded by the soldados. Lamar rode in, got them extricated. The next day, Sam Houston made him a colonel, so he went from a private to colonel in one day, and only being in Texas for two weeks. Later on, he was the second president of the Republic of Texas. The moral of the story is, if you come here and you throw in with us, we will not only support you, we'll promote you. But but to use your words, you have to buy in. You have to assimilate. You can't come here and enjoy the fullness of Texas without taking part. If your home is still someplace else, then you're not going to get the full benefits of everything. The diversity is amazing. I really enjoy the Texas characters, the ones who are just as famous or, or infamous, however you look at it. So I just love them to death. They're like potato chips. You just can't get enough of them. One thing, the pendulum always swings, and I think that that's another thing that Texas has a tendency to do. They have a tendency to look at the long term, the long game, not just instant gratification. If my family had been interested in instant gratification, they would have never come here, any of them. I had one great, great, great grandmother who gave birth just outside of Galveston Harbor when she was uh, coming in from Germany. That's tough duty, you know, particularly back then in the 1840s. There again, you have this genetic memory that's passed down from generation to generation. And that's not solely a Texas thing, but it seems like it's a commonality in Texas more than any place else. You don't get the same common history out of Indiana or Idaho or places like that. We were talking to some folks the other day. 2011 was a horrible year for the Texas with, with, with the drought. There were people who actually thought it would never rain. And just on my own personal note, let me inject this. Uh, it's kind of like Elbert Kelton's book. It was called The Time It Never Rained. Now back to Charlie. He said, I lived through that in the 1950s, the late 50s. We knew it was going to rain again, but when was the big question? You just have to hang in there. You just have to roll with the punches in Texas. Just because it's this way now doesn't mean it's going to be this way tomorrow or the next day or 10 years from now. If you didn't like the way things are, just wait around for a couple of years. Another thing that is characteristic of Texas, it's the different ethnicities and as many different places of origin to the people we have, as many different ideologies, religions, attitudes. Still, we have always found some way to get along. It doesn't mean that we haven't had our problems, but we've never turned into 1970 to Lebanon We've just never had a situation where everybody's just fighting everybody. We've always found some way to become to some kind of common ground or accord, which is something you can't say about every society. So that's something else. It adds to that Texas pride. We've never torn ourselves apart over our differences. I think that's tremendously important. We sacrificed to get here, and everybody did, I guess. That's one reason why nobody wants to throw it all away. I think it's important because of the things that we've talked about. It gets passed on to the kids. I just think that's an important part of of life, too, to have the knowledge of where we came from as a people. Not only Texas, but America. 
even people around the world. We were once our own country, and we whipped the largest military force in North America at the time. But also something else, it figures into that. It figures into what we were on the losing side of the Civil War. We were an occupied country after the Civil War. The federal government took over everything. But as the only state in the Confederacy that had fought in a war against a larger force, figured into the psychology of losing the Civil War, we had one prior to that. And we could use that as a source of pride. Other states of the Confederacy did not have that. So it became very important to Texas psychologically to say, look at Travis. Look at Houston. Look at those other people and hold them up as paragons of virtue. They were all six-foot-four, blonde-headed Greek gods. <laughs> That's just very interesting. The historiography of Texas. That, as history changes through the ages and the interpretation of it. Up until and after the Civil War, nobody cared about Texas history or the Alamo. Nobody cared about San Jacinto. They were too busy surviving. And then afterwards, dealing with Reconstruction. It was very hard to get a foot up on the federal government who wanted to keep the Southern pride down. But then, after Reconstruction, you see this blossoming in Texas. It was Governor Colquitt that brought Joanna Troutman back from Georgia. She never once set foot in Texas. He props her up and brings her to Texas. Here's another side note from me that Joanna Troutman is considered the Betsy Ross of Texas. She is credited with designing the first Lone Star flag. Charlie passed away as a result of a massive heart attack in August of 2017. I attended the funeral with some friends. I can assure you, many, many tears were freely shed that day by both men and women. He was loved and appreciated. I never met anyone who didn't like him. He had a quick smile and a hearty laugh. As it happened... Our scheduled book release party for the second edition of Texas in Her Own Words was that same day, that afternoon. For those of us who knew Charlie, I remember consciously thinking about how Charlie never got to see the final product, the book, that he was interviewed for. I did give a copy of the book to Beth, his wife, at the reception after the funeral. My photographer friend and great Texan Rick Henson provided a couple of portraits of Charlie for us to display at the release party, so Charlie was represented at the event. That was partially in honor of him and all the other contributors who were in attendance. Charlie was a special person. I admired him, and I loved him. Every email I ever got from him concluded with this closing. God and Texas. If you ever get an email from me, chances are I'll close it with the same way. I love that message. I hold it in a special place in my heart, and it has a very deep meaning for me. I also use it as an homage to Charlie Yates. If there was a better Texan, well, I haven't met them yet. Thank you for sharing life's most precious commodity with me, and that's your time. And I know you could be doing a lot of other things, listening to so many other things and yet you've chosen to spend it with us. I am truly grateful for your time and we'll do this again soon. And in the meantime, take care of your precious selves.